Jacques. Jacques Roux. Sounds like a Beatles song. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to catch on, but it, I like it. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. <clears throat> you want to turn over there with, with me? Uh, Jesus is coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's going to be drawing some very clear lines in this last little bit here, giving his listeners some big choices to consider. He's going to talk about two paths we can take, two trees we can pick fruit from, two ways we can call upon Jesus, and two foundations we can build our life upon. What we decide about these things will have monumental consequences, so it's extremely important. And this morning we're going to be looking at his warning to beware of false prophets, to those who are telling us the opposite of what is true. False prophets and false teachers have always been around, and, and they always will be around until the Lord returns. And a false prophet is basically just one who falsely claims to set forth the way of God, and then in the process leads people away from God and away from truth. <clears throat> There's no shortage of them. They're, they're everywhere. They're all around us all the time. Um, and it matters greatly that we know this and that we're on guard because who we listen to and what we believe, well, you know, that it basically, we're, you know, eternity is in the balance. That's what's at stake here. So with that said, let's look at the words of Jesus starting in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, previously, right before this, Jesus just explained the choice that people have between taking either the narrow gate or the, the wide gate. And that kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about today. So we're, we're going to be a little bit back into that. Uh, you, you might remember he said that one gate is easy and one gate is hard. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. And at the end, he says something that's kind of terrifying. He says, few people will choose the narrow gate. Few people are going to choose the one that leads to everlasting life. It's the road less traveled. It's the one that people don't want to pick. And so this means that, that most people are going to take the easy, wide path. Why? Because it's easy and wide, right? That's the best option for our human nature. It just, just so happens to be what goes along with the way I want to live. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the person that's all about the path of least resistance. That's my favorite, my favorite path to take. Um, so I understand the draw of easy and wide. If, if I was to be out hiking and there was a, a narrow, steep way to go up or there was a nice, easy, wide path, guess, guess which one I'm taking every time. I'm going easy and wide. That's, that's what I like. And we're living in a time where the, where the wide road seems to be kind of more appealing than ever. And part of that is because up until recently, it was, it was very easy to say that you were a Christian without really having to take the hard path. <clears throat> now identifying yourself as a Christian might cost you something. People might not like you. They might say bad things about you. Uh, you could suffer loss. And so now you have to face the question, do I want to follow Christ, even if it means taking the hard road or the road less traveled? Or, or do I want to take my chances on the easy road with everyone else? And this is why I think we've kind of gotten used to seeing people vanishing from, from, our, from our churches. 
uh, people who claim to be followers of Christ are now changing course and opting for the wide road because the road, the Christian road, became too difficult. Became, the cost became too high. And in some ways, that, that shouldn't surprise us because there have been false teachers out there for years who have been teaching people that the message of Christianity is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Come, come to Christ and you'll have your best life now. These are the kinds of, you know, there's truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. So in a lot of ways, people were sold a bill of goods. They, they were told something that once it began to fall apart, once they kind of got a glimpse of the narrow road, they, they said, wait a second, this isn't what I was told would happen. I didn't sign up for this. That doesn't look like my best life. That looks kind of hard. And so you can kind of see why they, would, they might abandon ship when, when that happens. Because the narrow gate does not go along with the false gospel message that people were given to lure them into the church. And it's sad that we do that. We think, you know, let's just get them in and then they'll figure it out later. No. So we say stuff like, hey, become a Christian and you'll be healthy all the time. You'll be wealthy. You'll have money. You know what? You won't have any problems anymore. Doesn't that sound great? Sign, it's like, sign me up for that program. I want that every day. That's, those are my favorite things all the time, right there. But here's the problem. As Martin Luther pointed out, we don't want a theology of the cross. We want a theology of glory. We want to get glory right now. We don't want to wait for it. We don't want to have to suffer for it. We don't want it to be hard. We want it now. And, and the truth is that the theology of the cross is the message of the Bible. It's a very different message. The message of Christ has always been a difficult narrow gate kind of message. The idea of taking up your cross and dying to self is not a message that most people want to hear, is it? Why do you, what do you think Jesus meant when he said these words? The one who finds his life will lose it, and the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a narrow path message, but it's a message that leads to everlasting life. And this is the, this is the part that the false prophets won't tell you. They're not going to mention this, this to you. The wide road seems great until you find out where it ends up. Then it ain't so great. It's, it's like smooth sailing. You're just enjoying it. It's just, this is so easy. This is so nice. But, but it's heading toward a massive waterfall of eternal destruction. That's the part they're not going to tell you. And that makes the narrow road sound a whole lot better, doesn't it, when you, when you, end up, when you see where they end up. Sure, it's tough for a little while right now for the Christian. But eventually, where does it lead? It leads us to the kingdom of heaven, where there's abundant life eternally. So the same mindset of choosing whether to take the narrow road or the wide road applies to Jesus' warning in our passage today, because it matters who we're willing to believe and who we're willing to listen to. And that's why he tells us to beware of false prophets. You can almost picture these two gates and, and two people standing at those gates trying to, to, to woo you over to their gate. You see somebody with a gospel message saying, come, come and die. You know, come to my gate, come and die. It'll lead to life, but that doesn't sound so great. Then you can picture almost, I picture in Proverbs, remember how you had the, the adulteress, the harlot woman, who's, you know, standing out trying to get the man to come, come over here, my husband's away. It's going to be great. It'll be fun. And you're thinking, that sounds nice, and you want to go to that gate. But then the Bible says it's like scooping fire into your lap. Never done that, but don't ever do that, right? Why would you ever do that? That's, you know, who wants that gate? False teachers will beckon you to walk down the wide road which means their teaching is going to completely appeal to your sin nature. They're never going to encourage the more difficult path, the narrow way. Nobody's got time for that, right? We don't want that way. And because of this, people will go out of their way to hear these teachers, to find them and to listen to what they have to say. We want people to reinforce the things that we want to hear, 
because it, it, then it lines up with, with all the, you know, the stuff that we want to do without any pesky conviction or guilt. We don't want those things. 2 Timothy 4 says it this way, <clears throat> For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And, and this is exactly what we're seeing in the world happening right now, and this is exactly what we're seeing happen in the church right now. So, for instance, see if this sounds about right. I know you guys were hoping that maybe your toes would get stepped on this morning. Well, you're in luck. We're, we're going to go there. So, here, here's an example. The Bible says that God hates divorce. It says that marriage is a picture of the gospel. And if you don't understand that, it's basically a groom who picked a bride, an unfaithful bride, and said, I'll stay with you no matter what. Even though I have every reason to divorce you every day, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a picture of the gospel, and that's what marriage is. And God said, what I've joined together, let no man separate. That's what the Bible says. What does the false prophet say? You know, you don't, you don't want to be trapped in an unhappy marriage. You don't, you don't want that. You, you need to do what's best for you. Your happiness is what's important. Which message do we prefer? Which one do we like better? The one that makes me happy. And we see this over, and I know there's, there's complicated things that go on with marriage and divorce. I'm not trying to say that. But we've, we, we've actually had to deal with this very thing where somebody, a Christian, a follower of Christ, somebody who says that, leaves a marriage for no reason other than their happiness because they listen to a wide road message. How about this one? The Bible says that we're to be sober-minded, always ready to give a defense for our faith, ready in season and out of season, that we're to be alert and awake because our Lord could come back at any moment. That's what the Bible tells us. How about the false teacher? You know what? It's okay to numb yourself with various drugs and drink. You need it in order to cope with all the things in your life. Your life is hard. You need these things. You deserve these things. You know what? You're going to be a better, you're going to be a better husband, a better father, a better worker, Heck, even a better Christian. If you just get, get away for a little while, take a little break and, and kind of have a little mini vacation. Right? Isn't that, that's a great message, right? I deserve a break today? Yeah, I do. I like that message. One's a narrow road message, one's a wide road message. And if I've managed to miss your toes so far, this is a popular one we talked about in our podcast this week because it's come up a lot. And it doesn't mean there's never a reason for somebody to move, but bear with me. The Bible says that wherever you are, literally as you are going, to make disciples of all nations, all people. That includes anyone that we're around, people that we like, people that we don't like, people that like us, people that don't like us, anyone who doesn't know Jesus yet. That's who we're supposed to be talking to. The false teacher says this, move to a place where it's safe. You don't want to be around the riffraff. You don't want to be around people that are, that are not like you, that don't think like you. Go to a nice place. And live there, people, where people share your values and your beliefs and your morals. You'll be much happier there, and you only live once, so make the best of it. That's a great-sounding message. I like that message. It appeals to my flesh. Wide road message, narrow road message. The bottom line is wide road teachers are going to tell you to do whatever makes you happy, and we're, that's exactly what we want to hear. We, we like to hear that message. But we have to remind ourselves of where Jesus said that road ended up. So in Matthew 16, Jesus asks this very important question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You need to be honest with yourself about which path you're on, which person you're listening to. 
and what they're, what they're teaching you, what you're believing. If you have no interest at all in living according to Jesus' teaching, according to God's word, then the choice you've made is, is pretty clear. I think it's also important to point out that, that even though the narrow road is more difficult and goes against what our flesh may want, it's an amazing road. Don't, don't miss this. Is it hard? Yes. Is it, is, it, is it self-denying? Yes. But you know who's on that road? Jesus. That's who's on that road. That's who we get if we go down that road. That's what we don't miss. If you don't pick that gate, you miss Jesus. And there's nothing more tragic than that. He is everything. Everything else is worth forsaking for him, to get him. And we would also do well to remind ourselves the blessings that come from being obedient and from following God's word. The Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so that, that means that that road is filled with true joy, true peace, true meaning. You know, we, people go through life without any purpose or meaning. This road has that. And it, and it ultimately is true life. I spent far too much time on the wide road because I was promised satisfaction there. I was promised blessing there. I was promised happiness there. And it ain't there. The narrow road's hard, but Jesus is there. And, and, and all the goodness that comes from knowing him is there. So God isn't trying to keep us from having a good time. He's not trying to like hide the good roads or the wide road so you don't have fun. I think we think that way very often. He's a good father. And just like you would do the same for your kid, he's trying to keep us from harm, and from hurt and from destruction. Stay off that road. So the same, though, could not be said for, for false prophets. They don't have your best interest in mind. They're not looking out for you the way your father is. So let's take a look at some of the characteristics that Jesus said we, we would find in these false prophets in the text we just looked at. The first one is they are sneaky. The second one is they are dangerous. And the third one is they are common. Sneaky, dangerous, and common. Jesus tells us that they will disguise themselves as innocent and harmless. No one gets scared when they see a sheep coming at them. I, okay, I, might, I might a little bit if I'm being honest because, you know, I'm weird that way. But generally speaking, sheep are docile. They're not harmful creatures. You don't see a sheep and go, oh, what do I do? You know, we don't worry about that. There's an obvious parallel of Christians being referred to as sheep as well that we can't miss. What this means is that false prophets are going to dress like us. They're going to go out of their way to look like us, sound like us, in order to deceive us. And make no mistake about it, their goal is to deceive you. So that means that these so-called teachers will appear to be for you. They will appear to have your best interests in mind. Satan's not stupid. He knows not to come at us in a way that we're going to be scared or, or, or recognize him. So he's not going to show up you know, in a red suit with horns and, and, a, and a hay fork in his hand and be like, hey, you'll, you'll know who that is. How does he appear to us? We're told it in 2 Corinthians 11. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That sounds nice, doesn't it? An angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves in the same way as servants of righteousness. That's how they're going to show up. Not only are they sneaky, they're dangerous. Sheep aren't dangerous, but wolves in sheep's clothing... They are dangerous, right? Looks can be deceiving. Jesus says that underneath this disguise, they are ravenous wolves. Now, that sounds scary to me. I, I, I don't, you know, I get scared pretty easily, honestly, but I'm not a fan that, of anything that is described as savage, vicious, or, or anything that's bent on destroying me. I, I try to avoid all of those things. False teachers want to do this to followers of Christ. 
The spirit of the false prophet is the same spirit that we see in Satan. And, and I couldn't help but think of the book of Job, where you've got Satan just coming before God and saying, my goal is to see them deny you and curse you to your face. That's what they want to see us do. That goal has not changed. He wants us to turn, turn us away from God. False teachers want to turn us away, and so they call us to join them on the wide road. They're sneaky, they're dangerous, and they're common. That's why Jesus is telling us to be on high alert. He's saying beware for a reason. Satan is wily, he's crafty, and he will attack us any way he can. So, so knowing that they're all around us and that they're teaching all the time means we should be paying attention. They don't let up. They don't grow tired. They're committed to bringing a consistent and continual false narrative in hopes that we'll hear it enough times that we'll start to believe it. We'll start to go along with it. And if you don't recognize this is happening, you're not paying attention. Think about all the things that the propaganda, the indoctrination that's occurring all around us all the time. They just keep bringing it in, keep bringing it in. And pretty soon they normalize it in a way that you don't even think twice about it. It sounds right. Yeah, okay, that sounds right now. It works or they wouldn't be doing it. You and I enjoy a steady diet of this kind of stuff every day. And we would do well to pay attention to it because false teachers are in our schools. They're broadcasting the news we listen to. They're making the music, the television shows, and the movies that we invite into our homes. And they're giving us endless information on the internet. Wherever you go, even in our churches, unfortunately, it's happening. It's there. We're, it's constantly coming at us, and we need to pay attention to it. You can't avoid it, but you need to recognize it. And sometimes the indoctrination is super obvious. Sometimes you just feel like you're being force-fed something. You know when it's happening. But a lot of times you don't notice it. It's, it's so subtle that you're not aware of it. Now, of course, we, we would expect enemies of God to attack us from outside of the church. That's, that's a given. But how brilliant it is if they can sneak their way into the church, disguise themselves as one of us, and still give us that false message. That is ingenious. And that happens, right? They're smart enough to know that. So we need to be aware of that. Yeah, they're outside of the camp, but they're inside the camp too. And don't look around at each other right now. That'd be kind of awkward, but you know, it's like, who are, who are they? You know, just know that they're, they're creeping into the church. If they can get in here and get away with it, they will. And we're much more likely to accept teaching from somebody that's in the camp than outside of the camp. It's just the way it works. So false teachers are outside of the church. They're inside of the church. And unfortunately, there's even a little false teacher inside of, our, of us as well, if I'm being honest. Um, in my flesh, you know, there's that, that little part of me that kind of wants to hear that message, that kind of wants to, to have, you know, my flesh satisfied and my desires satisfied. It appeals to me. Wide road messages appeal to me. And, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm really good at ventriloquism, not like with a real puppet, but I can, I can make my voice sound just like God's voice if I want to. I, I can be like, I'm pretty sure God's telling me to do this. And it's like, are you sure, Brent, that's not just you saying exactly what you want to do and what you want to hear? We're pretty good at it, right? So each of us needs to examine ourselves and examine the narratives that we've chosen to believe. If what we hold to be true does not align with God's word, we've been duped. If you have to dismiss or change or ignore your Bibles to maintain your worldview, your philosophies, and your ideologies, you've been duped. You've chosen the wrong gate. So, False teachers are sneaky, they're dangerous, and they're common, and all of this can sound pretty bleak and depressing. You know, this idea there's wolves among us, and we're all going, oh no, what do we do? Well, Jesus has given us help as well. He tells us what we need to do to deal with false prophets, and he mentions three things in here. First, he tells us they will come. Second, he says 
they can be recognized. And third, he tells us they won't win. So the first thing he tells us is that they're going to come. Um, you know, he doesn't say beware for, for no reason. Obviously, he's saying beware for a reason. He's warning us because we need to be warned. They're coming, and unfortunately, we will succumb to their, to their teaching. We, we need to be careful. Be on guard, be watchful, be ready, right? The good news, though, is that they can be recognized. And I'm really happy about this. Their disguise is really good, but it's not that good. There's a way we can spot them if we look closely. How? Verse 16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, if you were to take me out into a grove of trees in the wintertime and try to and have me identify which, which fruit tree a specific tree is, I would have nothing to offer you. I couldn't do it. But I don't want to brag, but if you took me out when it starts to bear fruit, I'm pretty good at it then. You know, it's, it's like if, an, if a tree had an apple on it, I'd be like, that's, I think that's an apple tree. So I get, I get better when there's actually fruit to look at. But here's the thing is that when somebody's crafty, and that's what Jesus is describing, this is what he, they picture. They get a thorn bush. I mean, just picture this gnarly bush with these massive big thorns. And they go to you know, Safeway and they buy a big thing of grapes. And they just carefully take the time to put grapes on each thorn. And then they present it to you and say, hey, it's a, it's a grape tree. I would be kind of like, okay, all right, grape tree, cool, this is great. Sounds good. You do the same thing with figs and thistles. It's kind of funny to picture, but somebody taking the time to stuff figs onto a thistle tree and then try to convince you that we're, we're not bright sometimes. I know I'm not. I'd think, okay, that's good. I don't think there's such a thing as a grape tree, by the way. I'm pretty sure they grow on vines based on what the Bible says. But I would go along with it. It looks right. right? Here's the thing. They'll sit there for a while and it'll look good, but eventually we'll figure it out. It'll take time, but they won't grow because there's no life there. Eventually, it's just going to shrivel up and fall to the ground. And that's how we'll know. At first glance, the point is this. It can be very difficult for us to know if somebody is a Christian or if they're an imposter. But as time goes on, it will become more and more evident. I generally assume that everyone who claims to be a Christian is telling me the truth. But after enough time passes, the fruit or lack of fruit begins to inform me. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not our job to, de to determine who, who the Christians are and who they aren't. We, we go through dry spells. This can be hard. But, you know, we don't get to decide that part. But Jesus tells us to let the fruit be our guide. Right? So what fruit are we looking for specifically? And I would say it comes down to these two things. What somebody teaches and how somebody lives. Those are the two things that we're, we're looking at. So first we would look at what they teach. A false teacher will be wrong about sin. They will be wrong about the gospel. They will be wrong about Jesus. And they will misrepresent God. You can be sure of it. And those are all extremely serious things. If, 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 we, uh, if we're going to be able to effectively recognize lies, that, that these things are happening, we can't be biblically illiterate. This is so important. I wish the church understood this. If you're going to be able to spot this stuff, you need to have something, a basis of truth, to compare it to, to know that it's false. The best way to spot error is to know what's true. And this is why sound doctrine and sound theology are so important. And those are almost bad words in the church now. Christians don't want to deal with oh, doctrine, theology. I don't want that. I just want the, let's just keep it simple. You need to know this stuff. We need to know. And they're not going to make it easy for us. False prophets are smart. They, they know to use scripture. Think about Satan in, in the wilderness with Jesus. He used scripture, didn't he? Over and over again. He just used it wrong. He just twisted it and turned it any way he wanted to to get you know, his agenda through. So we need to take everything that is taught, everything that we hear, and run it through the sieve 
of the scriptures to determine if it's true. Luke complimented a group of people in Acts 17 for doing this very thing. He said they were more noble than other Christians because they took whatever we taught, they went home and they compared it to the scriptures to, to examine the scripture to find out if it was true. They're called the Bereans. Sometimes you're said, be a Berean. This is what it's talking about. No matter what you hear taught, whether it's us from this pulpit or anything else out there, do this. Take it home and compare it to the scriptures. If it doesn't line up with the scriptures, guess which one you throw out. The bad teaching is what you throw out. So, what people teach is important, but how they live is also important, right? So, there, there's a, an old saying, and this probably won't mean a whole lot to you, but it's good orthodoxy results in good orthopraxy. And that just means this uh, correct belief results in correct behavior. Right? If someone believes right things about man, and right things about God, and about sin, and about the solution, it will show up in the way that they live their life, in the way they behave. So this is what it says in verse 17. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So first let me just explain what makes a healthy tree, because this is really important. What makes a tree capable of bearing good fruit? And the answer is Jesus does, period. That's what, that's what makes it possible for there to be a healthy tree in the first place. Any good works that come out of us are a result of us being connected to him. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a little. You can do some things. No, you can do nothing. Nada, zip, nothing. If you're not connected to Jesus, you're not going to produce any good fruit. If you are, and so understand, fruit is important. Right? It's important, but it's not, it's not what saves us. It's the result of our salvation. And it's important that we get this right. Good works are the fruit of true salvation. They are not the root of true salvation. Jesus is that. So if someone has been made a new creation, filled with God's Holy Spirit, given a heart that responds to his desires, fruit happens. It will happen. Right? We know what the presence of God's Spirit brings into our life. You know the list. Love. These are things that weren't there before. I can, guarantee, I can tell you, these were not present in my life the way they are after Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If those are evident in your life, that means Jesus is evident in your life. If those are absent from your life, it's reasonable to assume that Jesus is also absent from someone's life. Now, there's going to be times when we, these are, these are not there. I mean, I'll admit it. There's times if you could follow me around during the week, you might be like, I don't see any of that in you, Brent. What are you talking about? But, but the point is, like James says, faith without works is dead. These things, if they're continually absent, that's a problem. Um, but, but the point is that we've been called to make judgments regarding what we see produced in people's lives just so that we can identify false prophets. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store. <clears throat> I'm not really good at picking out the right stuff, but if I walk up to a thing of grapes and they're just moldy, I know not to take those home to my family. And so if you pick up a piece of fruit and it's just rotting there, don't buy that. Pick a different piece. Don't take that home to your family, right? You toss it out because you don't want it to spoil the other fruit, the other things around it. That's the way it works. So we have to learn to be good fruit inspectors and be able to spot imposters and counterfeits and enemies. And this takes effort and it takes diligence. I would even say it's a, it's a team effort. It's something we need to do together as the body of Christ. We have a responsibility to expose false teaching and to guard and protect the truth. And this is part of the job of those that God has called to be pastors, 
Um, it, you know, it's, it's you need trustworthy, proven, tested shepherds, but you also need sheep that are kind of willing to, to listen to them and trust them as well. One of the qualifications for a pastor and elder is, is this, that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And I will say I'm grateful that I'm part of a church that has pastors like this. You guys have three pastors, I have two. But I have pastors that take this seriously. Uh, it matters to them that, that doctrine is preserved, that, that, that truth is guarded, and they're serious about it. And when they see it, they call it out. And I, I, you know, especially when compromise seems to be on the rise in so many churches right now, I value this more and more and more. I'm, I'm thankful for guys that are willing to make a stand, even when it's unpopular and even when it could cost, you know. There's been times over the years where we've had to do this. We've had to go and protect the flock from false teachers. We've had a couple of like real, you know, real big ones. We had a guy one time that he came into the church, very charming guy, very winsome. We really liked him. And he, he was basically claiming that he was sinless and, and that he was almost like a, a prophet of the Most High. I mean, the more you talk to him and the more you listen to him, the more you realize, oh my goodness, this is really bad. Well, then he started to kind of gather followers and create division, and we had to go confront the guy. We had another guy that came in and pretty much said the Bible is unnecessary. We don't need it. God's written his law in his heart. We don't need the Bible. Started disrupting church services uh, during communion and stuff, talking about drinking the Kool-Aid, and we had to go and invite that guy to the door. Not, not the door, but the, the, you know, the, the one that says exit on it. We had to get those guys out of there because they were creating damage. That's part of the job. Second Peter 2, chapter 1 says this, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So we need to be on guard for these things. Now, there are things we should be on the lookout for. There's red flags that we, can, we, we should be aware of. And, and I would just say, if you, if you see these things in, in the teachers or in the teaching that you're listening to, run. And I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. Does money get talked about a lot? Is there an overemphasis on money? If, if that's something you're hearing, it's a red flag. Um, there are plenty of people out there who are more than happy to gain a tremendous amount of wealth by using the name of Christ as a means for gain. So that's one. Number two, ask this question. Who's in the spotlight? Who's getting famous? Is Jesus the star of the show? Or is Jesus eclipsed by the giant head of the guy in the front that's, that's doing all the talking? You know, a lot of celebrity pastors, the, the, the bigger they get, you know, literally the bigger their head gets, and pretty soon it's like, can, I can't see Jesus anymore. Would you move out of the way? Because you're just eclipsing him completely. That's a problem. Pay attention to who the hero is in the teaching. Is man the hero, or is Jesus the hero? This is subtle, but it's there. If man's the hero, everything will be about you becoming a better person and having a better life. If Jesus is the hero, the message will be that he must increase and we must decrease. We will magnify the, the, the accomplishment of Christ for us. That's what you want to hear in a church. If you're hearing something other than that, it's a problem. Number three, are difficult things ever talked about? Pay attention to this one. Things, do, do things ever rub you the wrong way when you, hear, when you hear God's word taught? I think today we're safe to say they, they might have. <laughs> but... False teachers are going to tell you things that rub you the wrong way. Why would they do that? Have you ever noticed that the Bible sometimes teaches things that make you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. The Bible challenges our way of thinking and our way of doing things. That's narrow road kind of stuff. Have you noticed that in, in recent years, and probably for much longer than this, but I've just noticed it recently, that the reality of hell 
has been erased in most churches. Authors, churches, hell's not real. Don't worry about it. What a great message for a wide road kind of person. Thank you. That's, that's great news. I always thought it was real. It's not great. I'll stay on the wide road. There's no consequence. God loves everybody, and he's just going to usher them all into heaven at the end. That's a false message. It goes against the Bible, but it's a popular one. It's happening. You know, these kinds of things are going to fill the seats in a church. They're very popular messages that will grow a big church. If you tell people exactly what they want to hear and make them feel good about themselves, they'll come back week after week after week to hear it. If you want to fill a church up, don't ever teach something that upsets them. And I, again, I love that the pastors here don't do that. I get challenged when I hear them teaching. They, 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 they rub me the wrong way sometimes. They say things I don't want to hear. They irritate me sometimes with conviction and, and things that make me feel like I need to pay attention and, and do things differently, even when it's unpopular. And that might mean this church will never grow big, but I still appreciate that they're willing to do this um, because it's, it's the right thing to do before God. They're, they're more concerned about pleasing God than they are about pleasing men. And by the way, false teachers, that might not mean that they're leaving out the truth completely. Maybe they're just not telling you the whole truth. And then this is another sneaky thing you have to watch for. Because you can be sure that if they're only talking about love, blessing, prosperity, those kinds of things, that's great, right? If, they are, if they're leaving out things like judgment, holiness, wrath, sin, consequences, that's a red flag. And this is very popular. If they're leaving these things out, you can be sure that the true gospel isn't being proclaimed. Because the gospel message tells us that man's sin is separated from a holy God and that repentance is needed in order for salvation to occur. So we must forsake everything and bow before Jesus as Lord. That's the message of the gospel. The gospel only becomes good news when the bad news is actually mentioned, and they won't do that. And then number four, I would say lastly that the red flag to look for is that um, you have to ask the question, what, does what they teach align with the Bible? And this is becoming, I mean, anymore now you're just kind of seeing the Bible set aside and, and ignored. Um, are they faithful to what the Word teaches, or have they found a way basically to ignore the Scriptures to fit their own agenda or to twist them? It's, it's become very common to, to basically forget about what the Word says in order to go along with the majority. This is what the, the mob thinks. We'll just go with that, and we'll ignore this. And I, I'm seeing that over and over again. Well, Jesus ends this section with some good news. Even though false prophets are all around us, and even though they're dangerous and they seek to destroy the church, in the end, the wolves won't win. And I, and I love this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, verse 19 says. This is very similar to the language in, in John 15 where Jesus says the same thing. There will come a day when everyone who opposes God and everyone who attacks the church has to stand before him. Imagine that. Can you imagine being on the wrong side of that, that situation? That's terrifying. We all stand before God. Those people who stand before him one day, and God will deal with them accordingly. They're not getting away with anything. And I love the fact that the end of the story has been written, and God wins. Evil won't triumph. Jesus triumphs, and his people triumph along with him. And I hope and pray that we are all narrow road people. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it goes against everything that everyone else is doing. And yes, it means denying ourselves. But in the end, we end up with Jesus in his kingdom, forgiven of our sins and enjoying eternal life with him forever. You can't trade that for anything. 
you know, I, I, I don't know where you're at today, but it's not too late to change the road you're on. Um, I remember uh, I used to have to travel in the job that I had, and I was not a good traveler. Uh, I didn't like airports, and I felt confused and lost most of the time. And I got into this one, I, I got off the flight, and I only had a little bit of time to make my connecting flight. And I thought I was going the right way, and I had my bag, and I'm rolling along, and I see this, I've never seen this thing before, but it was on the, the floor of the airport, and there was this, like a conveyor belt. And you could just get on this thing and walk while, the, while it was moving, and it, it was wide and easy, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't I take that? I'm in a hurry to get to this next place. So I get on this thing, and about, I don't know, maybe a few feet in, I realize, oh no, this is the wrong way. This, is my, this isn't my gate that I need to get to at all, and I'm stuck on this road thinking, what do I do? they got walls on it. I can't hop over. I can't turn around and go backwards. There's all these people there. I mean, I just didn't know what to do. I was stuck. So I finished the whole conveyor belt, and then I got on the other way, and I still made my flight. But the point is this. It's not too late. If you want to get off the wide road, you can do that right now, because Jesus is the narrow gate. He's standing there right now, arms open, ready to receive you. You don't have to, you don't have to wait any longer than right now. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Come to him today. Forsake everything else. It is worth it. Father, thank you so much for providing another way. Lord, it's not the way we would go apart from your intervention. And we thank you that you've drawn us to yourself through your son and shown us this. Lord, we have this message of reconciliation with a God that everyone will stand before someday. And we just pray that we would do everything we can to let people know about Jesus and his love for them and his plan for a future that is something that we can't even imagine. Thank you for being so good to us today. Bless your church. Help us to be guardians of sound doctrine and truth, even when it's unpopular. Um, help us to love people enough to, to, be, to be honest with them. And thank you for giving us your holy word, Lord. What a, what a wonderful gift that is. Help us not to forsake it or to take it for granted, but to, to utilize it every day, to, guard, to, to use it to measure the stuff that we're, we're hearing from the world to find out if it's true or not, and that we would cling fast to your word and forsake all else, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.